Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I am your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 13, Issue Number 15, which corresponds with the week of March 27, 2023. This week, we're going to dive into Part 6 of the Cholesterol Story, COVID and the heart, as well as an HDL follow-up, high-density lipoprotein. The free thoughts. Richard Feynman stated, I would rather have questions that can't be answered than have answers that can't be questioned. How true is that? The esteemed physicist, Dr. Feynman. COVID and the push to suppress questioning attitudes was a scary time for me, as you probably noticed by my writings over the past years. A world where the government is the arbiter of doctrine and truth is truly a scary reality for me. I have seen firsthand the government's version of truth as it relates to nourishment for children, adults, and the population at large, or the EPA's version of chemical protections for children in our air, water, and food. We are expected to accept the truth that school lunches are nourishing, and that to question it is to question the government's nutritionist policymakers. Yep, I do. I question them. I question them and, frankly, hold them in abject contempt for their choices that are driving our children to disease. We see every day in our office kids struggling with weight gain, struggling with metabolic abnormalities based on 66% of their calories being consumed daily as quote-unquote federally guideline-based nourishment. Not great. When our ability to question the powers that be are taken away, we are in a form of government that prizes power and control over truth and integrity of the scientific inquiry. Let's hope COVID is the last governmental overreach for our health. Probably not. I will keep speaking up, writing these newsletters, listening to podcasts, producing my own podcasts with guests. You can be sure of that. If I find that I am wrong, I will admit it. I'll move on to a better scientific truth. For me, the simple answer is teach your children to be question, questioning, question everything with a skeptical and scientific eye. I would much prefer my children to question me than accept everything as gospel. I am fallible, we are all fallible, and the kids need to know the truth wherever it is, and I encourage them to find it. Keep looking. Science grows. Medicine changes. The bodies and the environment are constantly changing, so we can't live on old doctrine. Song of the Week is Wilson Pickett, Hey Jude. Link is in the notes. All right, let's get into it. Coronavirus updates are still on hold. U.S. Omicron data of March 22nd just notes that XBB 1.5 is 90%. The rest is minimal. North Carolina's Department of Health and Human Services notes continued flatlining COVID-associated hospital ICU use for almost a calendar year. Volumes are not changing despite the variant shifts. This is now a steady state of an endemic SARS-2 viral illness reality. My opinion has not changed for a while now regarding risk, vaccines, and long-term outcomes. I found little evidence that vaccines are useful for anyone outside of the high-risk groups. Healthy children over two years of age have minimal scientific need for va to vaccinate as they have almost certainly had natural disease exposure prior vaccination. Between six months, because the kids under six months can't vaccinate, or they've had the disease unlikely, between six months and two years of age is a parent's choice based on the very, very, very small but real risk of a negative outcome. High-risk individuals should always consider vaccinating on a biannual basis or based on the most current data. If you want to get more deep into this topic, listen to the two podcasts with Dr. Paul Offit, as he has a wealth of knowledge in this space. Cholesterol Lipid Hypothesis Part 6 High-density lipoprotein. 
we are going to take a deep look at this very complex biological topic. Bear with me to the end, as it will make more sense to you, hopefully, why good cholesterol is not inherently good or bad as much as it just is. Our lifestyle decisions are, in effect, making a biological process good or bad. That is likely the answer. To me, that's my scientific understanding in this time. This week, we will look into the history and science behind the high-density lipoprotein, or HDL for short. The fascinating part of this story starts out immediately with the reality that epidemiologic studies have shown that HDL volume was inversely related to cardiovascular disease, ushering in an era of HDL-increasing medicines. Unfortunately, every pharmaceutical made to increase HDL levels had no beneficial effect on CVD outcomes to date. Thus, we're missing a very large part of the story of how HDL as a particle works. What's its benefits in human physiology? And how can we leverage it to change our downstream risk? As always, this leaves me heading to the headwaters of HDL biology to find some answers, if there are any. What is the biology? HDL, or high-density lipoprotein, is the main source of reverse cholesterol transport, which is to say that HDL particles transfer excess cholesterol molecules from systemic cells wherever they are, such as an arterial cell wall, immune-based macrophage, or foam cell, into themselves, whereby they are sterified to form a cholesterol ester. Lecithin cholesterolacyl transferase, LCAT, sterifies cholesterol to a cholesterol ester, which is hydrophobic, causing it to migrate from the HDL particle surface to the core. This action, in effect, removes cholesterol from the peripheral cells and keeps them away, which is thought to be a part of the benefit of HDL. The HDL particle then travels through the bloodstream to the liver, where the cholesterol as an ester molecule is taken up by the liver by a hepatic scavenger receptor, SRB1, or other HDL receptors. The liver then recycles it and or excretes it into the bile for discharge via the bile duct and ultimately in stool. A major, a major feature of cardiovascular disease is the deposition of small, dense LDL particles in the heart vessel artery wall. When a macrophage, an immune cell, engulfs pathogenic molecules, and then swallows a small, dense, oxidized LDL, it begins an inflammatory response that leads to a metabolically and immunologically active cell called a foam cell. Oxidation is a process that occurs whereby oxygen radicals released by immune cells attack the LDL particles in the vessel wall, leaving them damaged by oxidation and furthering a loop effect of more immune activation. HDL particles can prevent this process by releasing certain enzymes that block the oxidation response. This may be another method of cardioprotection by the HDL molecule. HDL lipoproteins carry a surface protein called apolipoprotein A1, ApoA1 for short, which is involved in the cell signaling leading to RCT, reverse cholesterol transport, and antioxidant effects of the HDL particle. Interestingly, systemic inflammation reduces the action of the vol and volume of ApoA1 protein. Inflammation in the body can raise the levels of acute phase reactants like ferritin, C-reactive protein, and amyloid, which can cause the ApoA1 protein to not function properly, leaving the RCT, reverse cholesterol transport, and the anti-inflammatory effects of the HDL dysfunctional. Therefore, anything that causes systemic inflammation can negatively affect HDL activity, worsening CVD by blocking reverse cholesterol transport, leaving more oxidized LDL in the heart vessel wall. As we have noted for years in this newsletter, the upstream cause of systemic inflammation are related to nutrition, mental, physical stress, sleep, toxin load, sloth, and more. Hypothetically, it is no wonder that HDL pharmacotherapies are failures since the upstream targets that render HDL inactive in the RCT, 
versus cholesterol transport state and or oxidation are untouched by HDL-enhancing medical therapies. Other recently discovered desired effects of HDL particle are A, the induction of endothelial nitric oxide synthase, the enzyme, that produces nitric oxide, which relaxes blood vessels. B, the enhancement of insulin secretion and glucose metabolism. C, increased activity of adenosine monophosphate kinase, AMPK for short. D, increased lipoprotein lipase, which helps to metabolize triglycerides and fats. And E, enhanced immune activity. All of these effects are pro-health, anti-inflammatory, and pro-metabolism in a positive way and in nature causing a loop effect that enhances HDL functioning and reduces cardiovascular risk. What can we learn from disorders of HDL function or volume? There is an inherited rare disease called Tangier disease, where the reverse cholesterol transport of HDL volume is so low that the activity is minimal, leaving affected individuals with cholesterol ester-filled macrophages throughout the body, like foam cells of the heart that lead to CVD, orange-colored tonsils, large liver, large spleen, other diseases like familial HDL deficiency associated with very, very low serum HDL concentrations and premature coronary artery disease. LCAT deficiency is due to lecithin, transfer, excuse me, lecithin cholesterol acyl transfer deficiency, presents with annular corneal opacity and progressive renal disease with proteinuria. Other causes that may make a low HDL, including taking drugs such as beta blockers, benzodiazepines, and anabolic steroids. Mendelian randomization studies have failed to show a strong causal link between HDL number and premature risk. These diseases show in principle that HDL is important to the progression of CVD. However, this is likely through inflammation and infection reduction and not directly through reverse cholesterol transport. The question remains, how and through what mechanisms? More data is needed to answer this question as we are clear that raising HDL number is not changing CVD risk. Let us switch gears and think outside the box, as we did with LDL cholesterol discussion. Why would humans have evolved with HDL molecules other than for the purpose of energy and cholesterol movement? The answer, as it was with LDL particles, belongs to the immune sphere of influence. From the journal Cardiovascular Research by Catapano et al. in 2014, quote, during infections or acute conditions, high-density lipoprotein levels decrease very rapidly and HDL particles undergo profound changes in their composition and function. These changes are associated with poor prognosis following endotoxemia or sepsis and data from genetically modified animal models support a protective role for HDL. The same is true for some parasitic infections, where the key player appears to be a specific and minor component of HDL, namely APOL1. The ability of HDL to influence cholesterol availability in lipid rafts in immune cells results in the mod modulation of toll-like receptors, major histocompatibility to complexes, as well as B and T cell receptors, which and while specific molecules shuttled by HDL, such as sphingosine-1-phosphate, S1P for short, contribute to immune cells trafficking. Animal models with defects associated with HDL metabolism and or influencing cell cholesterol efflux present features related to immune disorders. All these functions point to HDL as a platform integrating innate and adaptive immunity, end quote. Thus, a critical role of HDL particles like LDL is a natural innate ability to grab bacterial cell wall debris in circulation, bind it, and clear it via the liver. 
This action reduces immune activation locally and systemic inflammation in total. Bacteria have lipid outer membranes, like lipopolysaccharide, LPS for short, of gram-negative bacteria or lipotychoic acid, LTA for short, of most gram-positive bacteria. These cell wall membrane pieces are highly inflammatory if found in circulation. We know this to be true based on animal models with reduced HDL activity leading to increased inflammation in response to a bacterial infection. As discussed with LDL and innate immunity, reduced HDL lipoprotein levels are pre-infection, increases the overall risk of sepsis post-infection. If HDL levels are high, pre-infection, then they will drop rapidly as they clear the bacterial cell wall debris leading to better overall outcome. Although the absolute number matters, I think that the function or lack thereof for the HDL particles likely matters more. HDL volume has been highly associated with inflammation, immune activation, and disease in study. HDL knockout mice models have shown enlarged peripheral lymph nodes and spleens with increases in immune cells of the teen B cell lineage, as well as macrophages. As noted earlier, in the low HDL Tangier disease, these immune cells have an altered function, and the lack of HDL molecules leads to an inability to remove cluster osteos from macrophages, leaving them dysfunctional, prone to stimulating inflammation. Over time, these problems can develop an autoimmune or inflammatory immune polarity. The abnormal immune activity can lead to problems with infection, as there is a direct effect of the action of these APOA1 particles and immune activation and necessary response to bacterial, parasitic, or viral infections. That data comes from Bonacina, B-O-N-A-C-I-N-A, et al. 2021. Many autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, and systemic lupus erythematosus are associated with a significantly higher risk of CVD and are noted to have HDL particles that are low in absolute number, but also have a characteristic dyslipidemia with high triglycerides, high LDL, with low HDL particle number. The macrophages and white blood cells conversely have high volumes of cholesterol esters inside them, rendering them prone to innate immune activation and inflammation. The abnormal HDL particles are enriched with triglycerides and depleted in cholesterol ester, resulting in attenuated antioxidative activity, reduced anti-inflammatory effects, and lower capacity to promote cholesterol efflux. Therefore, as the data emerges, it appears that the function is the key to a health outcome although absolute number matters in the case of infection for sepsis. In autoimmune conditions, HDL function activity is broken. The composition of the HDL cell membrane and thus its activity appears to be pro-inflammation and pro-autoimmune disease. Look at the statement by Dr. Cotapano. Quote, also, patients with type 2 diabetes mellitus, a clinical condition recently redefined as an autoimmune disease rather than just a metabolic disorder, exhibit an impaired HDL metabolism in the presence of dysfunctional HDL. Whether the immune-related activities of HDL have a role also in this context beyond the known metabolic functions is an intriguing hypothesis, which is so far supported by circumstantial observations, end quote. Remember that ApoA1 is the main structural and functional apoprotein of the lipoprotein HDL and plays a key role in the induction of cholesterol removal from peripheral cells with the plan to take them back to the liver for clearance. This interaction with cells results in cholesterol depletion and disruption of intracellular signaling in the cell membrane lipid rafts. These lipid rafts allow for receptors with key immunologic functions like toll receptors and T and B cell receptors to be active and immune stabilizing. 
we now know that the lipid composition of these rafts determines their function and that any modification of the lipid raft composition can modulate signaling, altering immune cell biological functions. Again, this is from Katapano's work. More data is emerging that the HDL molecule will deplete cholesterol from the lipid rafts, altering cell signals to be anti-inflammatory and pro-resolution of symptom systemic inflammation. When infusing HDL into an arthritic mouse with bacterial inflammation, the response was to reduce all inflammation via a downregulation of toll-like receptor and immune cell signaling. I assume that these HDL cells were fully functional, based on the study. This may be the key to failed HDL pharma trials. If the drug was increasing a person's HDL number but not improving its function, that would lead to failure. When looking at the diverse immune functions of ApoA1 HDL cells, we see so many that are involved in immune homeostasis and reduced inflammation. Decreased toll-like receptor signaling, white blood cell activation and proliferation, dendritic cell differentiation, maturation, antigen presentation, interferon responses, macrophage activity, M1 macrophage polarity. For the non-medical professionals, this is the key. These changes are all associated with reduced inflammation, reduced autoimmunity, and reduced disease in general. For me, COVID death was highly associated with dyslipidemia and especially a low HDL. Quote, low and high LDLC, low HDLC, and high triglycerides were negatively associated with COVID-19 related mortality. End quote. A-Y-D-I-N, Aiden, et al., 2022. Coincidence? Not. Nah, I don't think so. These dyslipidemic changes are all a sign of a broken lipoprotein functionality, a broken metabolic system, which leads to poor immune infection action, clearance, and resolution. There was a reason all along for the generation of abnormally high or low volumes of lipoproteins in human history. That reason was survival from infection. As always, the genetics of CVD are less about a mistake of humans, humanity's evolution and more a mistake of our modern lifestyle in relation to our evolving genetics. The biggest and most profound understanding for me after doing this deep dive in LDL and HDL biology in humans is the understanding that our lifestyle choices are still the main driving force of lip dyslipidemia, altering immune lipid functional capacity, leaving us in a pro-inflammatory state and prone to disease of aging, including autoimmunity, CVD, and more. This occurs over a long period of time, a continuum. Thus, for some people, if you do it for a long time, it may be too late to alter everything through lifestyle. It's still going to help by changing your lifestyle, but you may still need medicine in the long run for full-time survival. For me, what is the answer? Everything discussed in last week's newsletter. That's the bottom line. Take care of yourself, take meds if you have to, and move on. In the newsletter, there's some a deeper dive from Cell, the journal, and looking at more HDL functional capacity information. I'm not going to read it because it's a bit dense, but it's from Bonacina et al. 2021, worthy of the read for those of you that are interested. Section two, large studies post-COVID to look at cardiovascular disease and cardioelectrical risk are very useful for understanding the why we need daily self-care over a time course. If we don't do daily lifestyle care of the self, we are at higher risk for poor immune function, which leads to worsened SARS-2 viral replication, leading to more inflammation and opens the door for CVD or cardiovascular disease issues in the future. From a nature medicine study, we see, quote, the cardiovascular complications of acute coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19 are well described. 
but the post-acute cardiovascular manifestations of COVID-19 have not yet been comprehensively characterized. Here we use national healthcare databases from the United States Departments of Veterans Affairs to build a cohort of 154,000 individuals with COVID-19, as well as two sets of control cohorts with five and a half million contemporary controls and five and a half million historical control individuals to estimate risks and one-year burdens of a set of pre-specified incident cardiovascular outcomes. We show that beyond the first 30 days after infection, individuals with COVID-19 are at increased risk of incident cardiovascular disease spanning several categories, including cerebrovascular disorders, dysrhythmias, ischemic and non-ischemic heart disease, pericarditis, myocarditis, heart failure, and thromboembolic disease. These risks and burdens were evident even among individuals who were not hospitalized during the acute phase of the infection and increased in graded fashion according to the care setting during the acute phase, non-hospitalized, hospitalized, and admitted to intensive care unit. Our results provide evidence that the risk of a one-year burden of cardiovascular disease in survivors of acute COVID-19 are substantial. Care pathways of those surviving the acute episode of COVID-19 should include attention to cardiovascular health and disease. End quote. That comes to us from XIEG et al. 2023 in Nature Medicine. It's a big deal, folks. If you have had COVID and you are at risk for coronary vascular disease, make sure you stay close contact with your cardiologist. Section three, when we think of HDL biology, we need to also look at the upstream influences of its actions for our immune and metabolic health. Nutrition, as always, is a key piece of this reality. Quote, effects of diet and lipoprotein metabolism on cardiovascular health are mediated through multiple pathways and the biology of HDL is complex. The beneficial effects of HDL on decreasing cardiovascular disease are not fully reflected through the amount of cholesterol carried in the H- by the HDL particles. Rather, the quality of the HDL particle as assessed by its functionalities, such as cholesterol efflux capacity, and indirectly through anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and vasorelaxant properties, are important parameters and hold potential for examining associations with dietary interventions. Limited data are available on the impact of diet patterns or foods and food components on HDL particle functional characteristics, indicating a need for additional research. Currently, the strongest evidence exists for the positive contributions of the Mediterranean diet to increasing HDL cholesterol efflux capacity and PON1 activity, which are associated with particular food groups. These foods also play a central part in the DASH diet and other healthy plant-based patterns. But limited data exists on HDL functionality after consumption of these diet paradigms. With increased knowledge of how dietary composition affects HDL functionality and other cardiovascular health biomarkers, recommendations for healthy dietary patterns can be made with more confidence. End quote. Bargdagi et al. 2021. B-A-R-D-A-G-J-Y et al. So for me, it's no surprise that a high vegetable intake diet is at the top of the heap of beneficial diets for CBD health. Eat loads and loads of colorful vegetables, moderate amounts of fruits and legumes, some meat, eggs, fish to round out the day. Limit all grains as tolerated, minimal, and especially not refined. Coming up, podcast number 45 will be with Dr. Brianna Pobiner, and we get into the history of anthropology around meat consumption. Super fascinating. Get ready. All right, folks, that is the story for today. As always, hug those kids, and I appreciate you. Have a great day.
Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this audio cast newsletter is for, inf- is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional. It's not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This newsletter does not constitute development of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.